please model what you want to see your teachers do with their students and, and acknowledge that we all have bad days and we all make missteps. I've worked a couple times with educators who say, I want to do this and I understand the value of it, but I need my leaders to show us the same things. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Krista Lay is the founder and lead professional learning designer and facilitator at Renaissance Educational Consulting, where she's passionate about helping educators create sustainable, scalable, SEL systems. She was an ASCD emerging leader in 2012 and has definitely fulfilled that title. She's also currently, I believe she's going to tell us about this when I ask her in a second. Um, She just got a date for her doctoral dissertation. So she's continuing to learn and be a leader. And also Krista currently co-hosts the SEL in EDU podcast that is sponsored by the Pennsylvania ASCD. I'm really excited to have Krista on the podcast today. I first met Krista on her podcast, believe it or not. So we we first introduced there. We had a great conversation that I just wanted to have more of concerning um, SEL in education. So this is going to be this is going to be a great conversation with a lot of learning. So if you have them, grab your notebooks. Unless you're driving, don't grab your notebooks if you're driving down the street and uh, get ready to learn some good things. So welcome, Krista. I'm glad to have you on. Thank you so much, Chris. This is fantastic. I am so excited to have an opportunity to be on your podcast and was thrilled when I got the message about it. Um, How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Better now and better once we get to hearing a little bit more about you and talking about SEL. Because as we had mentioned earlier in the pre-chat, people talk about SEL, but they don't always understand or that's probably the wrong thing to say. It's not that they understand they have a little bit of a different understanding of what SEL is or what it's meant for. So I'll let you start off because people came here to listen to you, not me. Why don't you give us just kind of a quick roundup of what you're up to now? Because I know you'd go out and you do consulting and you go to different places and you see different things on different topics. So just catch us up a little bit. Sure. I've been in education for 23 years now. And I just, I look back and I'm like, wow, I can't, I feel like the time has flown. Uh, But my first 10 years were spent as a high school social studies teacher. And I loved it. I thought I was going to retire from that after 40 years, 50 years, maybe even. But what I came to realize is I loved working with the students above my content. So I know a lot of times secondary teachers, it's the content over the kids. And I just, That was never my thing, although I do love my content. I like the kids more. And so I always was interested in social emotional learning, but I didn't realize exactly what it was called. I sat on the student assistance program for a couple years and um, oversaw that process. And that was helping students who were experiencing barriers to learning. And uh, that led me into the realm of social emotional learning. 
in that time, I was a curriculum coach, a tech coach, and then I decided to leave uh, after 15 years to go back to work on my doctorate, but I never let go of the SEL piece. And so my passion areas in SEL are really around helping students um, build those skills, but even more importantly, I think building systems and cultures that help support students and adults in being able to develop proficiency in those skills because I they, I feel like it's a continuum and we never actually reach the end. It's always learning and growing day by day, depending upon what is, is happening with us. And so I've been really lucky and thrilled to have been in about 28 different states helping educators create sustainable, scalable cultures. You mentioned something in the beginning about maybe like some misconceptions around SEL. And I think the biggest one is that when people talk about SEL, they're like, it's all about relationships. And I had an administrator reach out to me and say, so all I need to do is like high five kids when they're coming into the building and hug them when they're sad and crying. I'm like, well, well, it's a little bit more than and my, uh, my dear friend, Lori Stoller, who is the director of partner success at Residence Ed, she calls me a castle purist. And so Castle is the collaborative for academic, social, and emotional learning. They're based out of Illinois, and they have five SEL competencies. And relationship skills is one of those five. So that's usually like kind of the first piece that we talk about is it's much more expansive. And so you've got the intrapersonal competencies, the interpersonal competencies, and decision-making that I think is infused into all of those. And so that's, that's my passion. And then really looking at um, how do we honor all of the students who are in our classrooms as well as the adults? So that's where the diversity and the equity comes in and being able to meet all of the unique needs of our learners. So you said a lot there that I, I just have to follow up on one thing um, and it's a shortcoming of mine. So, uh, you know, you talk about the castle competencies and what we did before with my staff was we went over the castle competencies because our district did an, uh, a district XL team and it was members of all the schools. And so then those members came back to the schools and talked to us. Mine, my member happened to be the director of students uh, of counseling. I call she works in the student support center. That's why I kind of that little mess up there. But so she talked to me about these. And what we did was we put a castle competency up at every faculty meeting and then talked about that. So we had like one a month, but it was such a shortcoming on my part because we put it up. I talk about it. I give an example of it. But what that didn't do was the idea of, um, I'm probably saying this wrong, but the, the chicken and the egg type of thing when you're talking about systems and culture. So what do you need first? Do you need, do you need the culture to create the systems or do you need the systems to put the culture in place so that those maybe, they can't just be once a month conversations, but when those conversations happen, what's going to facilitate that more so that it's something that is learned? That's a fabulous question. And I'm so excited that you asked that. At Residence Ed, we believe that SEL is who you are and what you do every day. So a program can help you get started. And so I'm not knocking any of the programs, but I do know from the research in 2011 and 15 and 17 and 21 that there are programs out there, but that they don't hit all five competencies. So I think that equitably, equitably at least, that 
especially when we look at schools and we talk with them, that they're really focusing on self-management, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making without as much focus on self-awareness and social awareness. And so when we look at, oh, we've got 30 minutes of SEL each day, that's a start. But where we want to be is infusing SEL into the physical environment, into social interactions, into instructional practices, into curriculum, and making sure that our discipline policies are reflecting what we're standing for, making sure it's an extracurricular activities, making sure our parents and families are involved. So it's really expansive. And, and I think that's what you mean when that's our end goal. But you brought up a great question about which comes first. And we've been doing some research of our own at Residence Ed, looking at Castle, looking at systems work. And what where we have landed is that there are three factors that you need in order to create that sustainable system. There are cultural factors, structural factors, and behavioral factors. And in our experience, in our research, administrators and organizations tend to jump to the structural factors, looking at curriculum documents, looking at changing the schedule, looking at policies and practices. But what we encourage them to do is really look at the cultural pieces first. Do you have a shared vision that everybody is having an understanding of and getting behind? Do you, have you defined what you want your end outcome to be through this explicit focus on SEL? Do you have a team of people who are helping to communicate a two-way open, two-way messaging with parents, with other staff, with students? Do people understand their roles and responsibilities and the social expectations in order to see this vision come to fruition? And so I think that building that capacity before you make the structural changes is really critical. Okay, so I, I warned people to get a pencil and something to write on. So just if I can mirror this back, yeah. because you just you just laid out a, a blueprint for people to, to work on this kind of thing in answering my question about how do I do this better? So you're saying there's three factors, the cultural, structural, and behavioral. You have to do the cultural before the structural, right? And, and that cultural... Man, it's so important, that vision piece, right? That everybody's got to be bought into. They can't just, you can't print it on a t-shirt to memorize it for somebody to come in so you can spit it back. Yes. They've really got to be bought in. Yes. And and part of that buy-in, I think, is the reflective practices that they're willing to own it. When I first learned about SEL, I had sticky notes all around that were like listing the five competencies so that I could know them. And then I started listing like, what are some of the subcategories and what are those skills I'm supposed to be working on and taking moments during the day to do some self-reflection on, okay, what have I done well? Where have I had some missteps? And what do I need to do about those missteps, right? Because we're human. And I think this is where some educators pull back too, because they say, well, I don't have a counseling degree or this is not what I was hired for, but this is basic human teaching and learning and human growth processes. And we want people to feel confident and competent in being able to engage in these skills. And that's what they are. I think that when we shorten it to an acronym, that gets lost in translation and people think that it's a program or it's a lend or it's it's something that we're putting on students, but that's really not what it is at all. You know, you when you talk about cultural and you talk about the vision and peace and then the structural, it's almost, I go to thinking about how we execute something, right? So when you whenever you do an initiative or things like that, obviously communication is key, but to be able to start with that cultural piece helps explain why the schedule needs to change. 
um, why we need to re-examine curriculum and how that goes. But now, where does the behavioral come in? That's one of the factors. Yeah, the behavioral piece is one of the last pieces where there is ongoing um, monitoring and assessing is what we're doing actually giving us the intended outcomes. Um, In our research that we collect, uh, we have found that people say, oh yeah, we're doing this and this and this and this and this. And it's like throwing spaghetti at a wall. We have limited time and resources and energy and technology that we really need to be purposeful in what we're selecting to infuse and then making sure that that is giving us the outcomes that we want. Otherwise we need to let go of it. Um, But that also then means that we have a culture where we understand students, that we understand that as educators, we are creating opportunities for students to practice these skills and that um, we have professional learning time to say, hey, this is what I tried. This is how it went. What advice can you give me? And let me go back in and try that again. And so in terms of the behavioral pieces, we're looking at what does this look like in practice? How are we monitoring and refining and adjusting that so that we can keep improving? So you talk about infusion. You've mentioned infusion quite a few times and how SELs infused in. And, and look, I mean, we talk about the mindful minute. We talk about things like that at, be, at the beginning of classes. And, and that's that's good stuff for in the moment. But when you're talking about SEL, you're really talking about skills. And while we talk about curriculum and how we teach skills from that, how do we, are we able to use the curriculum to infuse, to use your word, the skills of the castle model? Absolutely. And in fact, I'm excited to say, and actually before I say this, I'm going to back up just a moment and say, Um, We have created an SEL implementation audit that we use with school districts. Um, So it's a triangulation of district office or central office, building level admin and teacher or teachers perception around SEL. And are they having their needs met in terms of professional learning? And what are they already doing in the classroom that could be supporting SEL development and then looking at those three factors. So we have a model and reports that we have created that let educators know where they're at in this implementation process to get the outcomes that they want. And so it'll say, here's what's, here's what's going well, like where you're moving along the stage of implementation. Here's what is something newer and here's where you can go to take that next step. For us, For me, I think that that curriculum infusion is one of the later steps because there are some other entry points that are easier to access before you get to the curriculum. But our team has been working on developing K-12 SEL essential questions, success criteria, and learning objectives that have very similar themes, K-12, but very specific skills that develop in complexity. And our work with school districts who are ready for this, we give them input and we say, here's what the grade level band would be from six to eight. You tell us based on your experiences with students in your location, which of these skills should be a focus in sixth grade, seventh grade or eighth grade. And then when they break that down for us, we have them look, okay, math, science, social studies, tech ed, family consumer science, where is there already a natural fusion in the curriculum happening where you can put a little bit more emphasis on this for the students. And then if there are any that are kind of homeless for lack, and and that's a terrible word to use, and I I should probably rethink that, uh, but have not been used 
and integrated, where could we infuse that, uh, there's the word again, authentically? And in this way, I think that we're looking at that culture, that we all have a piece of the culture, but not any of us feels this, that we're having to do all of it on our own. And so that's what I think of when I think of the written curriculum and what that would look like K to 12. I, I love what you're talking about as far as how you how you infuse that. And one of the one of the most important things I heard, I, I think this is what you said, but you can't skip over the issue the issue of what's already being done that might not just be labeled. So unfortunately, a lot of times we do things and we throw the whole thing out, right? And then bring in the new where we found out, and this is just a, a personal example. We were revamping our MTSS system, our, our multi-tiered system of supports. And while we were sitting there talking about it, there's a lot that we were already doing. We just had to name it where we weren't naming it. Yep. So it's, it sounds like you're, you're saying that. And I, I really like the idea of authentically. The other important piece I hear you saying, and maybe because I fall victim to this, um, if I see something that's good, I, I, I want to run where it's more important to crawl first with this type of stuff. Uh, definitely. And I think that's a misconception that people have. They expect the, the change, the system, the culture to be established right away. And um, we do think it's better to start off slowly and develop that awareness and ease into some of those entry points for people who are feeling a more a little bit more resistant or uncomfortable or perhaps they've been told their whole lives that you know talking about emotions is weak or not something that is part of their job and ha- helping them understand how emotion and thoughts drive a lot of behaviors and prime us for learning um, and then I also push back a little bit too because social emotional learning skills is more than focusing on emotions it's about conflict resolution and just decision-making and it's about goal setting and growth mindset and self-efficacy and developing a sense of agency. And um, those are really critical pieces. And so I don't necessarily think that teachers need to feel that they're being forced to, oh no, now I need to talk about my feelings. Like there are other ways (laughs) that you can really support this process for students. Yeah, but you know, you you talk about that and- how many times, look, we train in de-escalation techniques, right? So why is it different to train in a de-escalation techniques that a lot of people love to call restraint training, but in reality, it's not about restraint. restraint and I, I happen to be a trainer for one of these. It restraints the very last piece you ever get to when you've exhausted every other single tool you have to de-escalate. Well, what are you de-escalating? You're de-escalating emotion. And so how important is it for people, no matter how much they say, well, I don't want to get into emotions. You get into emotions every day. I love that. And you're right. And I think that goes back to what you were saying with let's recognize it and name it. Um, Because I think so many times we're already doing this. We just don't realize how it's related to the five competencies. And so we've come up with a checklist just this spring that we've used with schools with here are ways to create an affective learning environment and to like, so what are some really solid instructional practices? And let's look at, do you do these? Now, why do you do these? And now that you know the five competencies, which of the competencies is being reinforced in you doing this action? And let's make, be that, let's be explicit about that so that students understand the why of what we're doing. I've worked with teachers who've said, well, I just do this all the time. It's innate. 
I, I can't pull it out of what I do. And I feel that if we can't articulate what it is for each other, that we're not going to be able to do that for our students. And they're going to miss the point of why we have things organized the way that we do. Yeah. I, you know, you're saying so much. I'm, I'm dying to ask you a question. Okay. You're saying so much about with SEL and Castle and how it's, it, it's really things that we're already touching on that we just need to name and get better, right? I, I'm big on the idea of continuous improvement and every little step towards the towards a goal helps us become better. You're talking about systems and cultures that once you get that culture, it builds a better understanding, which then creates more action towards where you want to get. So looking at all of that, what I, I want to ask you about what a school that is well along the continuum would look like in a perfect world. But before I ask you that, I want to just stop for a quick break, hear from our sponsors, and then we'll we'll come back and dig into that a little deeper. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the place out-of-the-box leaders in education turn to to grow their leadership skills. Maybe you're interested in making better decisions, creating your idea week, or building a world-class culture. Learn more at betterleadersbetterschools.com. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Back with Krista. And, you know, when we left, we had just received probably, I don't know, 15 or 20 minutes of an advanced level course on SEL, the competencies and and how to put those into place with with factors involved and everything like that. But when I'm what I'm thinking and and what I was wondering about is that Krista, if you had your perfect school or a school that's well along the SEL continuum, um, firing all on all cylinders with systems in place, with the culture that's built that's continuously trying to improve in this area, uh, what does that school look like for staff and students? I think that for me, the first part that you would see and feel and hear is that people feel comfortable showing up as their authentic selves with a, with an identity that has been realized or that is in the process of being affirmed and honored. This is something that I think is very important to me and has me also really focusing in on the diversity and equity piece of what it looks like in schools. And that's not to say that my own school experience was bad because it really wasn't. It was phenomenal. Um, But I still do remember feeling a sense of being lost and disconnected, which I think is a typical adolescent thing. But then hearing stories from my mom and seeing my siblings and my nieces and nephews hearing from friends around race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status. Um, My ex-husband who grew up in in really a deep poverty from my friends who are, who are working through different aspects of gender identity. 
I really feel that when we can show up as our authentic selves, that we've created a safe environment where people can flourish, where they can connect and learn from each other, where they can learn at high levels, where they can learn new information. And I think that that has to be essential. So it's knowing who you are and and being affirmed in that and then other people honoring that piece. And I think that that honoring piece is manifested in different ways through opportunities to think and process your thoughts and your feelings and how that relates to content that you're learning, to your past experiences, to having opportunities to apply new learnings and to practice without, and and to make mistakes, right? Knowing that we're working together towards something and that we're human and going to make mistakes, but we're not punitively disciplined for it. And, you know, I saw some school districts who were probably headed in that direction. And I'm, I know there are school districts who are doing amazing things around the country. I, just, I have seen this in pockets, but I haven't really seen a full school system yet that is really embodying this. And I think that in my experience working with high school students, because I still work with the students, they want this so badly. And I think sometimes as adults, we stand in their way a lot of times from having that happen for them. So I don't know if I answered your question fully, but I feel like those are the essential elements that would lead to that culture where SEL is honored and and practiced. Well, let's see if you answered the question by me repeating back to you what I got out of that. I would love that, please. Thank you. Uh, Your perfect school or, or a school, what it would look like for teachers and students is one in which you walked into and you could see and feel and hear everyone authentically affirming a person's true self. So I, I think I, I think he answered the question. <laughs> that's I mean that's what I got from it. I think there's neuroscience shows that when we are feeling emotionally and physically safe or psychologically safe um, and physically safe that that we're able to learn at high levels and learn from each other and that we want to treat people well and learn from them and grow. And we're more willing to respond to mistakes in a way that helps us all move forward. I just had a conversation with a student the other day that was going through some difficulties in um, her social circle where some friends had decided that maybe she wasn't for them anymore and, and had moved on. While we as adults look at that like, well, okay, move on. That's incredibly difficult for an adolescent. And so I was having a conversation with her and what I ended up saying to her, and I I probably could have delivered it 10,000 times better, is that isn't it easier though, when all the dust settles and all this drama kind of subsides, isn't it easier just being who you are and finding people who accept you for who you are and want to be with you for who you are than being somebody you're not to hang on to those individuals who may have fit with you before you evolved into who you are now. I love that response. And isn't that just where we want all our students and teachers to be? And when you said that, I'm going to be honest, and I don't always talk about, I have never talked about this on a podcast, but in small groups of people, I, I will. I worked at a school district for that 15 years, but I would say about eight years through, there was a core group of friends who decided the same thing for me. And I was like, 
I mean, there's more to the story than this, um, but I, but it was, I was 30 and it was hurtful and hard and I was lost. And I'm like, this happens when you're an adult, like what the heck? I had no clue. And it was really a year of finding myself, finding my passion. Um, that's when I moved into the instructional coaching position. And after that year, I got to meet new people. That was around the time I got involved with ASCD. So new doors started opening up for me. And just a quick story, I was, because I was working between buildings, there were some new teachers and one of them, I'm like, why don't we go out to lunch during a professional learning day? And we were in a local, a local diner and the three people who I had been tight with walked in and I just waved because they saw me and I waved and the other teacher with me was like, oh, do you want to invite them over? I said, no, I'm here with you. We're good. She goes, oh, thank God. They're the mean girls. I almost fell over and I'm like, so you can see like where some of that tension among the four of us was coming from. And I'm like, oh, 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 thank, thank you. There was like, I don't want to be part of that. And even though it was hard to, to shift groups and find a new group, I'm more purposeful about that and who I am and what I can stand for and who I want to be around. And I used to work at a, a week-long leadership conference for students where the adults would be working with about 15, 12 to 15 kids from 7.30 in the morning till about 10 o'clock at night. So we really got to know these students well. And we, we worked with them to develop their own leadership skills and their own um, intra, interpersonal skills. And one of the students, after a huge fight with all of them that we debriefed for like two hours, they said, oh, do, are we just bad at this because we're kids and we don't know any better? And I said, absolutely not. You are learning the life skills that you're going to need for your entire life. But here's the beauty of it. You're learning this now at age 15, 16, and 17, where I didn't learn these skills until I was 29, 30, 31. And so you have a head start. Truth, truth. <laughs> and you're going to be better equipped when things like this happen because they will happen because that's life. Yeah. I, you know, it's, you say that and, you know, about the, the mean girl story. And, and the first thing I want to say is thank you so much for being trusting enough to be vulnerable and share that story. But um, I, I think about, have you ever heard the story about the fish, the two fish swimming in the water where they're, they're swimming along and an older fish comes swimming by them. And as the older fish swims by him, he says to him, he says, Hey, the water's nice today, huh? And they keep swimming along. And one of them says, ah, as they go and they swim a little while in silence. And one of the other, one of the fish looks at the other one and goes, what the heck's water? Because we don't see when we're inside. And so we're, we're, and oh, so let's tie this back to SEL, right? We can't see what we're in unless we can step back and really look and build that skill. That's definitely a skill. Yep. And, and. I think that this relates to now there's amazing people in my inner circle and we talk about this stuff all the time. And so being able to step back and reflect, like I want them to tell me when I am stepping out of my core values, like Brene Brown has this amazing book called Dare to Lead. And she talks about getting right. I see that. I love her getting right within your values and what it looks like when you start to slip. And I have friends who are like, Krista, this is what you said to me. And this is what I'm seeing. And I'm like, so appreciative of that because I, it's a caring way of bringing people back in again. And I, I know they care about me and they want to be able to give me that information. And so I think it's about too curating that group who is your best interest at heart and are even willing to have those hard conversations with you because they want what's best. 
Your square squad. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love yes. Brene Brown. I could reach right over. I mean, people can't see it because we're not videoing. I could reach right over and grab her book, Dare to Lead. Or actually, I could grab one of the 10 copies I have on my bookshelf because we do it as a book study with my leadership team. That I wish every leadership team did that. That is the that is one of my top five books of all time. It's fantastic. I marked up and I keep going back to it. And I love her authenticity too, of being able to, you know, we're not strong in everything. And I love when people, I can turn to people who have strengths in areas that I struggle in and can help me learn and grow as well. It's, it's so important. I've made that agreement with my athletic director. My athletic director will call me out when I'm not acting within my values. And that's just, it's just fantastic. If while we're on, well, we're not on the subject, but while it was brought up about Brene Brown and a book study with my leadership team, I, I just finished reading another leadership book that is absolutely phenomenal. It's one of the best ever. It's probably my, if not my number one, it's my number two. I'm getting ready to write down. <laughs> it's the, the Promises of Giants. I feel like I've heard of that, but I have not read it. And I order books from Amazon every week. So could you give me and our listeners, your listeners? <laughs> it's, I, I didn't catch the last part. Give that, give you what? The little synopsis. Like oh, it's, it is a series of promises that you need to make if you are to effectively lead. And it's written by an individual. He's English and he's 6'10". And one of the dreams that he came about, he used to be a very awkward child that used to get teased for his size. He always wanted to play in the NBA and he did eventually end up playing in the NBA for a little while, but he's more into leadership and he actually has his own company that goes around and does consulting for leadership. But he talks about these different promises and they have to do with being honest with yourself and who you are. They ha it has to do with a promise to treat everyone equally. So he gets into equity and diversity and it's just so good. Like, like ridiculously good. Thank you. I have one or two books sitting right now in my, and I haven't clicked send to, to have them delivered. So I'm going to add that one in there. for me. I, I promise you, you will not be disappointed. The Promises of Giants. And it's, it's a series of just reading the synopsis off the back of the book. And I'm wondering, uh, it's on the other side of the road. I'm not going to run up and get it. But um, just reading the, the back of the book, you have to pick it up. And it's about the, the massive responsibility that leaders have if they're to truly serve like they should be. And th those are the promises that he goes through. But it's really. I really like that because I think it is, it comes back to, I think, identity too and vision. Like, what are your core values? Who are you? What do you stand for? And um, I think that coming back to those ideas of social emotional learning and identity development and honoring people, how we stand with our friends who are not being treated equitably or equally, um, who are not being honored. And, you know, I think having a very small, a small business as a small business owner I'm learning that that means sometimes that people are not going to come to me or hire me or, and I'm, I'm okay with that because, and I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to turn that into a negative piece, but um, there are some truths and some beliefs that I have that I need to stay true to. And, and we're not going to be for everybody. <laughs> you ended that perfectly. We're not going to be for everybody. Nobody can be for everybody. But I, you know, our promise is that whoever we can be for and work with that will learn and grow together and 
create the best environment that we can for, for educators and for our students, because they're the future. You know, the song children are future. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to say, we're getting entertainment too. Breaking into song. I've never had anybody break in this song before. That's um, a, you get that from my dad. My dad, as soon as you say something and all of a sudden it's a song lyric and it's going. So, you know, Chrissy, you've, I mean, you've got such deep perspectives on, on different things. I have, we're, we're near the end of the podcast and I, I just have two questions that I ask every guest. And I'm, I'm really actually really excited to hear your answers to these. The first one is if you were not an educator, who, not what would you be? I would like to think that I would be who I am today. I would need to be involved in supporting people, connecting with people, helping people feel affirmed. I think that, and I think about that movie, The Breakfast Club, where Ali Sheedy's character is sitting there. That, Like I bring that up all the time. And I think the worst thing ever as a teacher for me would be to have a student con- like constantly sit in my room and not feel that they're being seen. And that just breaks my heart. And so I think that who I would be would, I would hope I would be the same, like that I would want to keep those purpose-driven pieces intact. Now, can I tell you the what part? Like, what would I be? Absolutely. It's your show. Tell me. (laughs) (laughs) On the side, if I had time, I love fluffy animals. I would want to be involved with animals somehow. Like, I love fluffy dogs and cows and like, I'm obsessed with animal videos. That's what I do in my free time. I look at cute animals. So I wish I was able to have more animals in my life. That, that's the what, maybe a veterinarian, because I'm still helping people, you know, connecting with their loved animals to help them. Um, I don't know. Fair enough. I What I loved about your answer for the who is that it it really just echoes the amount of work you've done with SEL to be able to say where you are now is right where you want to be. So. I love, you said it so much better than I did. But yeah. And the ups and the downs and the hardship, like, I don't think I would change any of that because it, it did. It took me here and here is a pretty, pretty amazing place. <laughs> there you go. So you, you've got a lot of important messages that could take 16 months to unpack. <laughs> but what I, what I do want to ask you is what's the, let's see if we can distill it down. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve. I can I can distill this one. Please model what you want to see your teachers do with their students. And and acknowledge that we all have bad days and we all make missteps. I've worked a couple times with educators who say I want to do this and I understand the value of it, but I need my leaders to show us the same things. And I'm not saying not, I don't mean to be pointing fingers or saying why it's like that or because I know everybody is stressed, but if we're expecting stressed and tired and burnout educators to do this, and if we're expecting kids who are tired and stressed and burned out to model these, I think we all need to pledge to be on that journey together. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. You did, you distilled it right down. Look, you've, I, I know you've got your, your small business and you do SEL work, so I definitely want to give you a chance to plug that. I'm sure some people might reach out to you after hearing what you had to say today. 
with the with the type of work you're doing that is um and this is not an exaggeration also needed in today's climate and culture that uh what's the best way they can reach out to you and get in touch with you Yep. Uh, the best way would probably be email. Um, I can get back to you directly. It's Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A at Resonance Ed, R-E-S-O-N-A-N-C-E-E-D.com. Didn't know it was going to be a spelling quiz today, did you? <laughs> I just am so used to, to spelling that out. Or ResonanceEd.com is our email. Uh, we have newsletters that come out that give research and strategies for SEL and book recommendations. And we have things up on our website that talk about the audit. And we also have a framework that matches the audit. So if people find here's what we need to do, even with or without audit data, and they say, but we don't know how, we can help with that too. So we match the how to what you need. Um, There is no a wrong way to do SEL, just not moving forward, I would say is the wrong way. And so just keep moving forward one step at a time. Well, I'll tell you what, I I believe in you and so much what you're doing. And I, you know, I I hope this helps the listeners do this as well. I'm going to put that link in, in the show notes, obviously, but what I'm going to do beyond that is put that link in my mailing list in the newsletter I send out. Um, So that, uh, well, well deserved so that People can have a chance and, you know, I'll, I'll put a little blurb on there explaining about how I came across this and, and who you are and what you do and probably steal something off your website so I don't have to recreate the wheel or say anything wrong. But uh, I'll definitely give that a plug because, you know, these these competencies, I don't even really like to use the word competencies. I like to use the word skills are so important and so needed. And the fact of what you said um, hey, you're learning this at 14 or 15 years old and not 29 or 30 is just where we need to be going because they are our future, these students. Absolutely. And thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you reaching out and wanting to hear more. And um, I look forward to staying connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're stuck with me now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I am. Well, I'm sure I could see us doing some work together down in the future. So. I would love that. I think that um, you are, I think, modeling what we need to see and you're really making it happen. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk more with you. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on and uh, I'll be catching up to you sometime. Thank you. Sounds great. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Dr. C.S. Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. Thank you.